Church, how are you? Good to see you on this bright, sunny day in February. I'll take it, take it for February. So we, uh, last Sunday was the last Sunday on uh, prayer, but keep praying, please. Uh, (laughs) um, I was praying about where to, to go next and uh, beyond prayer and um, got some good instruction, I think, from a guy by the name of Spurgeon. He was a really well-known pastor um, back in the day, and he gave this advice uh, when preaching. He said, preach Christ and Christ and Christ and keep, keep preaching Christ. That was his guidance and his direction for Preaching, and I thought, well, that's really good advice. So we're going to be spending the next big season as we go through out the Bible in Matthew chapter 5 um, and on to other books of the Bible. Uh, we're going to be looking specifically at the gospel. The grace of God manifests itself through Jesus. That's why we have the cross behind us. That's why we've been singing this morning about the grace of God, and it's all about God. It's all about Him. And I understand that it's outside of my capabilities to be able to insert the grace of God through Jesus into your heart. Not just a, a mental knowledge of who Jesus is, but an actual heart knowledge of who Jesus is. And I also understand that sometimes when we teach about certain things, about prayer and things, that we can miss the forest because of the trees. And my prayer for you this morning, and for me and for all of us, is that we would be reminded of the forest. We would would see, we would zoom out on Jesus' teachings to a high elevation, about the same height that this Chinese spy balloon was there, something, I don't know. I was like, that's too soon. But about that level where we can see who Christ is. And so I want to just take a moment, and I want us to, uh, to ask God to, for His Spirit to speak into us this morning. Dear Father, Lord, you are, you are holy. You are just. You are mighty. You are all-knowing. You are all-present. You are all-loving. You're all just. Lord, you love us so much that you would send your only son to die for us. Lord, speak into our hearts through your word. We know that faith comes from hearing your word. We, we know that only through faith in Jesus is what saves us. It's what helps us to grow, to be more like your son. So Lord, I pray through your word that you speak into our hearts that you remind all of us of the goodness of Jesus, that, Lord, that we make everything about Jesus, that when we read one word in the Bible, it points to Jesus. Lord, put that on our hearts. Hold it steady. Remind us of that. Help us to encourage one another with that as Christians. And all God's people said, amen. 
Men and I had the privilege of going over to the Middle East, to Israel, and getting to see these different locations that we read about in the Bible, and it was such a blessing uh, to be able to do that. And the biggest impact that I had going from Egypt and um, going into Jordan and then into Israel was my time spent at the Sea of Galilee. So Galilee is the kind of nord- northern region of Israel, and it's where Jesus spent most of his time right there around the Sea of Galilee. And right up by Capernaum, which is like the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, is where Jesus spent about two-thirds of his time um, raising up disciples and and spending his time coming in and out of there. And so what we're going to see today is Jesus, he just started off his ministry. He's there just right outside of Capernaum, and he's gathering this huge following of people because he's doing all these miracles and all these things, and people are wanting to come and hear Jesus talk and what he does and be able to hear him preach. And so you're going to hear about this in Matthew chapter 5, about the best sermon ever preached by the best preacher to ever live. So that's the mindset that I would like for us to go into when we hear this. What you're going to see in the beginning of this are the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes, and it starts off Jesus saying, blessed are, blessed are this, blessed are this, and I wonder, I want to ask you today, like, what do we see in our society that says that someone is blessed? They are blessed. Maybe wealthy, a big house, nice car, uh, intelligence, Chiefs fan, blessed. Doug, where's the, where's the Gatorade thing? Huh? <laughs> Doug said if I said something inspirational, he was going to pour a bucket of Gatorade over my head for, since the Chiefs won on Sunday. But I think it does say that, blessed are the Chiefs fans. But. <laughs> but as we think about society, it's athletic, strong. Those are the people that are blessed as we see in our world today. But I want you to see in this that blessed is Jesus is defining those that are blessed in the kingdom of God. Like we learned about that. God, your kingdom come, your will be done. That the kingdom of God for those that are blessed are dependent upon God. We're dependent upon Jesus. And we're dependent upon what he did. So I want you to keep that in mind. I'm going to read uh, this first part. Uh, Matthew, I'm going to go back to chapter 4. We don't have those verses. I just want you to listen to this part. And then we're going to get into what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 23. And he, Jesus, went through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction amongst the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pain, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paraleptics, and he healed them. And as you would imagine, great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea 
and from beyond the Jordan. So all of this region, this whole area that people are gathering to hear Jesus. And there on the Sermon of the Mount by Capernaum, there's this, the hillside goes up from the Sea of Galilee and the winds blow that direction. So it was natural for Jesus to gather there and for all the people to be on the hillside. There's olive uh, groves, there's just some agriculture that's going on, and they're all gathered up the hill, and Jesus is preaching, and the, the wind is pushing up his words up through all the people so they can hear. It's kind of like a natural kind of amphitheater, if you will. And so as they gather, and all these people, imagine them here listening to Jesus' words, and they can't imagine what he is saying. They're so shocked. In verse 2, chapter 5, or verse 1, chapter 5, it says, Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now imagine, this is not the kingdom of this world that Jesus is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are, are persecuted for righteousness' sakes. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's probably not the blessed that we would naturally think of. The Beatitudes is the first section in the Sermon on the Mount. And I have to admit that my first, when I heard about the Beatitudes some time ago, I automatically just thought that it was the letter B, just because of blessed. And then I like saw that it was spelled out. It was like B-E-A-U-T, Beatitude. And I was like, what? Why is it spelled out? It was just the letter B for all the blesseds that are in there. But the B attitude is really a Latin word, B-E-A-T-U-S, is a Latin word, which means happy or blessed. So it's a Latin word, B attitudes. The Greek word is a word called M-A-K-I-R-I-O-S. I'm not going to try to pronounce that. Probably a Greek scholar here that will laugh at me. It means that those that are fortunate and blessed recipients of God's grace and favor. Blessed are you who have received God's grace and his favor through Jesus. Blessed are you. Blessed are you who is dependent upon God. Augustine, in the 4th century, called it the greatest sermon by the greatest preacher to ever live. But I'm afraid if we are not reminded of Jesus, the free gift that we have received, who we are in Christ, 
or maybe we don't know, we may read this and be a little bit shocked. We may say, I don't even understand this. What type of standard is this Sermon on the Mount that I'm looking at? There was a lady by the name of Anne Rand. She wrote the Atlas Shrugged book, if anyone has ever read that, potentially in the 50s. She was from Russia, and she was a um, philosopher and a writer. And she wrote this book in relation to that there are these country, the U.S., and, and people who were doing business were being, really being held down by the government um, for different things. And so a lot of different political people have picked up on Atlas Shrugged, and it became really popular for a while. But she had this theory that it is kind of silly for any of us to act outside of our own interests, right? Like if you as a human being with intellect um, can make a decision uh, to do what's best for you, it would be really silly for you to act outside of your best interest. It's kind of the premise of what she was saying. When she read this, the Sermon on the Mount, she said it was the most vile thing ever uttered by man. Because if you read it from her perspective, from a kingdom of this world perspective, it would say, God is setting up this standard for me to live by that I can't live by. This doesn't even go against my own interests. So this must be vile. I don't even know what to do with this. Sermon on the Mount. I was listening to Tim Keller preach about this as well, Presbyterian well-known Presbyterian uh, pastor in New York City. And he was talking about this, and he said, you know, the Beatitudes are a little bit confusing and a little bit cryptic. It's really kind of hard to understand. And then you get to the next section. How, it's about how I should live as a Christian. It's this ethical guideline. It's almost as if Christ took the Ten Commandments and he expanded upon it with the rest of the sermon as we're going to hear it throughout the next few weeks. Christ is saying, not only should you not murder, as you've heard the Old Testament say, but if you're angry at your brother, you're guilty. Not only should you not commit adultery, but if you look at somebody lustfully, you're guilty. So no wonder Ayn Rand said, this is the most vile thing I've ever heard. No wonder Christians read this and say, this is how I'm supposed to live. Wow. That is almost impossible. How am I supposed to resolve this in my mind? As I say, Christ is saying, this is how I should live. This is what, I, what Christ expects from me, and this is what I should expect from other people. And I know other people aren't that way. What do I do with this? My story as a Christian, I grew up not liking church. My mom would drag me to church Christmas and Easter. We were priesters, and uh, it was more charismatic-type church, and I found it really strange and odd and would fight tooth and nail to not go. Um, I just didn't want to. It was strange. Fast forward, I became a believer. Um, some Hell's angels shared the gospel with me, and I became a believer. Um, really, military, God changed my life a lot as well. Just understanding that God was in control, I wasn't, was baptized. So when I um, got out of like military training, my man and I, we decided we wanted to take the kids 
to church. We're like, we're believers. We should be taking our kids to church. Like, we want them to, to grow up in the church. And so we searched and searched, and we found a church. It was a, a new guy who presented the gospel really well. And we had never, Amanda and I, we just kind of had this vision of like, the old, like an Old Testament God who's angry and, and mad, like if we make a mistake, like we didn't know quite how to process this, like we, we were believers and we wanted to learn more and here we have this, this new pastor who's preaching about the gospel and the grace of God that we're saved through Christ alone, right? And it just like kept bringing us back to church. But I'm the guy in the very back row. It was a really large church. I'm the guy in the very back row at that time, still not liking church, wanting to grow in my faith, but not liking church. And I just felt like everyone there had it together. Everyone was living Matthew 5 except for me. I felt like they knew the Bible inside out, could recite from Genesis to Revelation front and back. Like they knew all about the Bible. I was very intimidated by that. And I didn't want to be the oddball out, which is what I felt like. But something about the gospel of Jesus that I was hearing kept bringing me back. Kept bringing me back. And thank God for Amanda, because she pushed me out of my comfort level to go to a Bible study or go to small groups. And lo and behold, our first small group, we get assigned to these Christians who I feel like have been Christians for a really long time, and I'm extremely intimidated. Not only that, but there was a principal, there was a uh, president of a bank, there was a judge, there was an ER doctor. I mean, it was like this small group was stacked of like professionals, and I'm like, oh, like I'm just going to be outside of my, totally outside of my comfort zone, Totally. But, you know, God did something in that because I got to see people just being real and raw and knowing like they they didn't have their act together either. And when that facade came down, I was so relieved. Thank God. It's not just me, you know. And so I just encourage you today, like if you're a Christian, like, We're not going to have it together. It's okay to admit, like, I've got some flaws. I've got some struggles in my life. It's okay to admit that. That's why Christ had to come and die on the cross for us. Matthew 5. I want, as we go through this, I want us to look at it from a high-level view. We're going to look at each verse, but I really want you to step back and look at the whole picture of the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to take a look at that here in just a minute. But what I want to do is I want to skip forward. I don't want to steal the thunder from the sermons that are coming up, but I do want to skip forward. I want to read... In Matthew 5, later we get the Beatitudes, and then it gets into like the standard of living as Christians. But I want to look specifically at verse 20. It says, For I tell you, this is Christ, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, 
you will never enter the kingdom of God. Again, a standard that's being set as a Christian that's higher than anyone could ever expect. The people there must have said, well, who in the world can get into heaven then? Because the scribes and the Pharisees had 613 laws that they were trying to follow, that they were following all the time. Not only that, but they had 1,521 voluntary things that they did on top of those 613 to help them to be able to ensure that they were going to follow the 613. So Jesus is saying, unless you are more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, you've got no hope. What do you do with what do you do with that as you're reading through this? Some college students had read Matthew 5 and they're like, man, this makes me feel like I have to be perfect. There can't be no fun in life, constantly wondering if I'm sinning all the time. But if you are reading this as if you were reading the law, you would probably read this and you would be in this category over here with the law and you would say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And you would say, I got to be poor in spirit. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to work really hard to try to be it, whatever I think that it is. I read the next one. Blessed are those who mourn. I don't know how to mourn all the time and be blessed in spirit, but I'll try it. It's worth a shot. I'm going to mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to get up at 4 o'clock every morning. For the rest of the year, I'm going to thirst for hunger and righteousness. I'm going to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or you can read Matthew 5.20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And you can say, because of Christ and his righteousness, my faith in Christ, I get Christ's righteousness. And you can say, Christ was poor in spirit. Christ hungered and thirsted for righteousness. Christ is within me. It was imputed upon me Christ's righteousness. That's the gospel. We have to rest in the gospel of Christ. He was righteous. He is righteous. He lived the perfect life. The only way to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees is in Christ. It's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, is what Christ says. And if you read that as if it's the law, you would say, well, I ask you, well, what standard are you going by? And what are you going to do when you fail? Because you will. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. I want to read that. Philippians 3, 8 through 9. It says, I, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. 
For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And here it is, and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. It goes on to say that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings because like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The only way to gain righteousness more than the Pharisees is faith in Christ alone and his righteousness, and that is the gospel of Jesus. The good news. The gospel that Jesus was poor in spirit, that he mourned, that he was meek, that he hungered, that he was merciful. That the law shows us our sin, and the gospel shows us our Savior, and it helps us to grow, to be sanctified, to be able to go from here to here. It's called the sanctification process. To be able to become like Christ, we have to understand the gospel We have to understand that the law shows us our need for a Savior. And that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do when we gather. Don't forsake the gathering to come together. Christ, as we remember, the high priestly prayer, one thing that he was encouraging us to do was to encourage one another. As he prayed to his Father for unity and for encouragement, and the encouragement for that you to do to one another as Christians, even those Christians that you work with, that you walk with, or your neighbors with, you encourage them in the gospel. Christ died for you. And I believe that you put your faith and trust in Jesus. There's nothing that you can do to lose your salvation. Christ hold, that God holds you in his righteous right hand, that he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. It's not based on works so that no man may boast. We have to rest in that. We have to encourage one another in that. And we, when we looked at, look at others, uh, someone had said this this week and it, was really a, a good reminder that we can't expect dead people to act any other way if they're dead spiritually. But you and I are alive spiritually in Christ. And because of Christ in us, we're resting in the gospel that God can grow us. He can sanctify us to be more like Christ. John 15, 5, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. says there's nothing that we can do apart from God. Dependence upon God is what is a blessing. We are blessed if we are dependent upon God. And when we are dependent upon God is when we get the fruit of the Spirit. There's nothing we can do apart from God. Colossians 1, 27 through 28, says that Christ is in you and he works in you. John 15, 5, John 15 says, as we stay connected to God, 
We are reminded of the gospel. We rest in that and we focus our attention on Christ and who he is. We're in his word. We're in community together that Christ within us changes us. It's from an inside out. A lot of times we think of an outside in change. This is an inside out change. Christ says, you depend upon me and you focus on the gospel. I will change you from the inside. I will help you to be more like me. But you can't do it on your own. There's nothing that you can do apart from me. Romans 7, 4 says, we have died to the law through Christ. You are dead to the law in Christ. You belong to Christ our Lord so that we may bear fruit. I remember uh, when our oldest daughter was young, we went to um, amusement park. And uh, anyone been to Branson? Silver Dollar City? I love that place. I call it Still Your Dollar City, but um, we used to go there all the time because we lived there close. And I remember specifically a roller coaster. And it's the one, you know the one that like you sit in it and it like brings you over and you just shoot out real fast? And she was there like, oh, you know, really scared. And we take off and we're running and she's saying something and I can't quite hear. So I leaned over. I'm like, what are you saying? And she's like, we're going to die. 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 I'm like, you're not going to die. It's all right. Just hold on. Be all right. That's the title of this sermon series is Trust Christ and Calm Down. That's what I should have said, right, to her. Trust Christ and calm down. It's going to be all right. Really, that's what we have to do as Christians is just, just hold on. Keep your eyes on Christ. Focus on him and just hold on. I guess there are going to be dips and valleys and turns and twists, and you're going to be scared at times. And the sanctification process takes a lot longer than a roller coaster ride. That's how God works. So just abide. Stay connected to me. Remind yourself of the gospel every day. Remind the Christians that you walk with every day. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them of my son, Jesus. Remind them of why I sent him. Verse 3 through 11. I'm going to cover just a couple of these, but we're running out of time because we have the Lord's Supper as well today. But I'm going to just run through a couple of these. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those if you see yourself as spiritual beggars with no righteousness before God. As we're reminding ourselves of the gospel and we say focus on God, we, we become and we become aware of our poorness in spirit, that we need Jesus, that we are bankrupt spiritually outside of Christ. We are spiritual beggars. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we mourn and we look at verse 3 and we we mourn over our spiritual condition, Jesus says, blessed are you. That Christ emptied himself, he died on the cross, he's now exalted in heaven because of this, because we mourn over our sin. 
But you know what happens after mourning? After we mourn comes joy and peace and hope. There's joy in the morning. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There were two people that are mentioned in the Bible that were meek. Jesus and Moses. Doesn't mean weak. It means strong, humble. It means someone that says, God, your will be done, not my will be done. It takes meekness to say that and to do that. There was a lady by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. She said, meekness enhances manliness and it adorns femininity. She said that meekness is a jewel polished by grace. I like that. Meekness is a jewel polished by grace. So the Beatitudes, we don't have time for the rest of them, but the Beatitudes shows us that we, what we are, who we are to become in Christ as we focus on the gospel and we focus on Christ and what God did for us. That we are blessed. We are to be delightful. We are to be joyful. And more importantly, it gives us a portrait of Jesus. No other person that ever walked on this earth was more hunger, more meek, more merciful than Christ. So for the application for today, rejoice that you are spiritually crippled. Your only hope is in Christ. You are truly fortunate and blessed recipients of God's grace and His favor. We are poor in spirit. We are not trying to earn our salvation. It only comes through Christ and His righteousness. And if you are here today and you are like Ayn Rand... Or you are like those college students, and you see the Bible as just a cranky God who's angry at us, his unrealistic expectations. You only need to look to the cross. You only need to look to the cross to see how much you're valued, how much God loves you. For God so loved the world. He so loved you that he knew you would never be righteous enough for him. That he loved you and valued you so much that he would send his only son to die a gruesome death on a cross for you and for me. And he would provide a way for his righteousness to be given to me and to you because he knew that you couldn't earn it. I'll leave you with this. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The opposite of blessed is cursed. For the wages of what we earn is sin, is death, is separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. That is cursed. That we are cursed But you keep looking. I always say keep reading, and there's going to be that but. That's the gospel. 
introduction to the gospel of, of Jesus. It says, but the free gift of eternal life is in Jesus. In Jesus our Lord. If you have put your faith and trust, not in your own ability to be saved, not in your own ability to be more like Jesus, if you have put your faith in Christ alone, you are blessed. You are blessed. You may not feel blessed in this world, but in the kingdom of God, you are blessed. Beyond all measure, you are blessed. That's why we worship God. It can't work for your salvation. It only leads to death. Only the free gift of God, only the grace of God can save you. I'm going to pray. If you're here today and God has opened your eyes, opened your heart, the scales have fallen off, you say, I'm hearing this gospel of Jesus for the first time. I never even understood this. I pray it's, it's, it's a relief to you. It's freeing that you're taking the weight off and saying, I don't have to do it. Christ does it within me. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. He loves me. He's not looking at me anymore. He's looking at his son, Jesus. Hallelujah. If that's you today, just respond to him in praise. We're getting ready to sing the next song. We're going to have a time of response. I just pray that you would just call out to God. You would praise him. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. But we're also going to have a time of response. And what that means is like. Um, somebody's going to come up and start strumming. We're just going to take a little bit of quiet time. And it's going to be your time to respond. Whether that's take the communion, examine yourself. If you're still not a believer, you can leave that here. But to examine yourself, if you want to respond to come up and for me to pray for you, I'd love to pray for you. If you want to respond to come and take the Lord's Supper, Mark's going to come up and read those verses here in just a minute. Or you want to respond in giving to the Lord? It's your time to respond to the gospel. So I'm going to pray and then have somebody come up. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son to live a perfect life. Your son who is righteous, who is right with you. And you provided us a way. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus. Lord, I pray this morning that we are, we can just lay down 
the things that we are trying to do to be right with you outside of Christ. Lord, we confess these things to you. That we're dependent upon anything else other than Jesus. Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. We can't be saved. We can't be more like Jesus. And Lord, we praise you for this amazing grace that we have. Lord, I pray in this time of response, Lord, that people are coming to you. Lord, that you are working mightily in our hearts. And all God's people said, amen.